Hello and welcome back to Mental Health Monday and my podcast, Facing Fears and Shifting Gears. This is a podcast about mental health and neurodiversity and how difficult times in our lives often lead us to positive breakthroughs and changes. My name is Leslie Reyes and I'm the author of the Indie Bragg award-winning Amazon bestseller, The Zen of Learning to Ride a Motorcycle, how I faced my fears, shifted gears, and found healing from anxiety, codependency, and depression. So today I want to talk about my fifth Zen principle of good motorcycle riding habits, which is if you don't know something, learn. And it seems like kind of an obvious statement to make, but a lot of times people cut themselves short because they think, um, oh, I'm not, I'm not good at that before they've even had a chance to learn. Like there are some things that we are talented at and we just pick up, but there are things that if you really want to learn it, you just got to give yourself the chance to go at your own pace. So I just want to read a little passage from my book from chapter five, and it's um, from the Zen of Learning to Ride a Motorcycle. So when it came to learning about motorcycles, I had sold myself short in the past. I would tell myself things like, I'm too irresponsible to ride a motorcycle. I'm too short. I'm too small. I'm not strong enough. I'm too much of a wuss. I'm too fearful. I'll be too anxious to focus. I'll make a stupid mistake and get myself killed. I'm too clumsy and I'll drop it. I'm afraid and I don't know how to overcome my fear. Honestly, I believe that I had no business trying to learn to ride a motorcycle. I was certain that the universe would punish me for even trying. I'd be punished for having the audacity to do something so reckless and dangerous. Every mistake I made when I was learning to ride, I took it as a sign that I shouldn't be riding. I spent nearly eight months in a boring parking lot. It was hard for me to remain patient with myself. Would it have been easier if I bought a different motorcycle, a cheaper one at that, or maybe I needed to buy a scooter to practice on? Would that have been less intimidating? I think my bike has too much foot pounds of torque. It's too powerful for me. Maybe I should sell it. But I blocked all those thoughts out and I just persisted. I kept fighting my old urges to give up and label motorcycles as just one more thing that was not meant for me. Plus, I spent a pretty penny on this electric motorcycle and I had to make it worth the purchase. So I wasn't going to give up. If it was going to take me over a year to learn to ride this thing, I was going to do it. Many times in the parking lot, I did think about just giving up. I had a hard time enjoying the process. So I was just going to have to keep on learning the skills necessary to ride until my fear subsided and I finally learned to trust myself. So I want to talk about that fear because I feel like fear often prevents people from even learning things in the first place and not even just learning about things like learning to ride a motorcycle or learning to drive a car or learning to go rock climbing or something that might be a little bit, um, you know, physically dangerous. People are just afraid to learn about things that don't vibe with their beliefs like you're just ready to block things out so think about how many 
hundreds of years, people honestly believed the earth was flat. And the collective knowledge at the time that people believed that the earth was flat, that was the thing that made the most sense. We didn't know about gravity or how a planet's rotation would create gravity. So there was just not a consciousness collectively about the earth being round. And even in the 1800s, people still didn't believe in like germs and bacteria. And there was a doctor who he suggested to everyone, all the other doctors, that maybe they should wash their hands before delivering babies. And maybe less women would get infections and die. And they laughed at this guy and he literally died like bankrupt in a psych ward, this doctor. And then like, just like maybe 10 years later, it was like, oh, there's something called bacteria and germs, you know, but they ridiculed this idea because we didn't have the technology to know what viruses and bacteria look like. People actually just thought that what caused diseases was from like breathing bad air. Like if there was like a, a dead wild animal that was basically decom- you know, de- decomposing um, and if you walked by and smelled that and you were in that too long, that's what people 150 years ago before we knew what germs and bacteria were actually thought caused illnesses. But we learned something. So, but the, the hardest part is to overcome what you're comfortable believing already. And the reason I'm talking about this again is because the principle is if you don't know something, learn. So it's about keeping an open mind, but also staying skeptical. And so I just want to talk about this because I don't know, like I have a lot of non-binary and transgender people in my life who I care about. And there's a lot of weird uh, propaganda going around about transgendered and non-binary people. Like, oh, everyone can just choose what they want to be now. And it's actually not that simple. And I can't speak to the outliers. You know, there's always an exception to the rule. But there are at least 1.8 million people in the world, and this is scientific, that are born physically one gender, but genetically are another. So you're born with female organs, but you have an X and Y chromosome, for example. Um, There's a lot of different variations of this, and it's something a lot of people didn't know before. But it's something that science is talking about now. And, you know, I think a lot of the pushback is based on, obviously, fear and prejudice. Um, People don't have a general understanding of the difference between gender and sex and, and genetics and what their play in determining a person's gender is. Um, There are a lot of cultures, actually, that recognize, even today, they recognize more than one gender. Now, 
I'm half Filipino, and before the Philippines was basically invaded and converted, <laughs> you know, to Catholicism, you know, when they were conquered by Spain, there are still some cu- cultures in the Philippines that recognize more than two genders. And I know in, in the language that my father speak, Tagalog, um, if you know any Filipino people that um, English is like their second language, a lot of times they'll mix up he and she. So they'll be like, oh, your friend Jane, his car is breaking down, you know, the, or, or your friend Brian, is she coming over? Because they don't have like the male and female pronouns in their native language. There's a lot of Hispanic and Spanish. There's a lot of um, Spanish words that Filipinos have adopted. But I always thought it was funny. My dad would mix up he and she. And then I, he told me, well, we don't have that. And then, then I later on, I learned a little bit something about Filipino culture. So I think because this is, this episode is being um, published during Pride Month, in honor of my LGBTQ friends, I just want to talk about this a little bit more. So according to the Encyclopedia Britannica website, there are at least six cultures who have always and still do recognize more than two genders. One of them, a lot of people have heard about this before. Um, Indigenous North Americans have used a term called two-spirit Um, to refer to people in their communities who are believed to embody both a male spirit and a female spirit. Two spirits are seen as being uniquely able to see life from both male and female. This is according to the Encyclopedia Britannica website. Um, So they are seen as being able to bridge life from both male and female perspectives. Um, While the term two-spirit was coined in 1990, the ways of life it encompasses stretch back through the histories of many indigenous cultures, varying in name, expression, and status from one culture to another. Two spirits have held specialized roles in their community, earning respect as basket weavers and potters, and as healers, matchmakers, and ceremonial leaders. European and European American colonization involved the suppression of indigenous cultures including attempts to erase two-spirit ways of walking. However, two-spirits are regaining acceptance in some communities now. And then also here in the Encyclopedia, and also here in the Encyclopedia Britannica website, they talk about the Philippines. So bakla, B-A-K-L-A, in the Philippines, the term bakla refers to people who possess both male sexual characteristics but identify with femininity and often express their gender through feminine dress and behavior. Bakla, while primarily a gender presentation, can overlap with sexual orientation, and many Bakla people are part of the LGBTQIA community as well. Historically, Bakla were considered to encompass both aspects of masculinity and femininity, and they often served as leaders in their community, just like the Native Americans. After Western colonization, acceptance of Bakla plummeted, but a Bakla community still exists in the Philippines and elsewhere. Other um, places where more than two genders are recognized. So in Mexico, there's the Mushis, which is M-U-X-E-S. 
Um, and they are another culture that recognizes more than just um, two genders. So the pattern here is that these indigenous cultures were recognizing that there are males, there are, there are male people, there are female people, and then there are people who didn't really fit either category. And they recognize that. And this is just something we're starting to learn and starting to become more common knowledge. And I feel like, you know, if you don't know something, learn, try to understand it. There's a lot of propaganda going out there, making people afraid. So as a psychiatric nurse, I can confidently tell you, people do not become gay, non-binary, or intersex by watching other LGBTQ people do their thing. That's not how it works. You cannot groom somebody to become non-binary. So I'm not trying to get political. I'm trying to be scientific. I'm trying to talk about if you don't know something, learn. If something is scaring you, learn about it. Riding a motorcycle was incredibly scary for me. I was incredibly afraid of my motorcycle. So I just kept learning how to do things and how to manage it and how to ride safely until the fear goes away. There's a lot of things that people are afraid of that could be overcome if they just took the time to put the fear aside and tried to learn. Another reason I feel like um, sometimes it's so hard for us to open up our minds and accept new knowledge and information when it becomes available to us is because then we feel like we might have to admit that we were ignorant about something before. Does that make us a bad person because we didn't know something before? No, actually, you know, you don't have to hold on to something that's wrong just because you're afraid it's going to redefine who you are. There's no need to mentally flog ourselves just because we don't know something. We're capable of learning and changing our directions. So when we get new information, it doesn't have to disrupt our whole world. We can just say if we want to, I didn't know that before, but now that I know, I want to do better. So also from my book, I'm going to read a little passage here. When we stop learning, we stop living. Keep your mind open to the truth. When you are learning anything in life, expect setbacks. Setbacks are not a sign that you should give up. A person who has never failed has never tried. So I just want to leave you with some of Thomas Edison's most favorite quotes because I think they are, I don't know, I just think that they're encouraging for when you want to learn something new. I have not failed 10,000 times. I have succeeded in proving that those 10,000 ways will not work. When I've eliminated the ways that will not work, I'll find the way that will work. Another one is, um, there are no rules here. We're just trying to accomplish something. (laughs) What you are will show in what you do. Negative results are just what I want. They're just as valuable to me as positive results. I can never find the thing that does the job best until I find the ones that don't. And then finally, Our greatest weakness lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try just one more time. 
So keep learning, keep your mind open, and if you don't didn't know something before and you know it now, there's no reason to beat yourself up about it. Just say to yourself that you want to do better and you want to learn more. Again, my name is Leslie Reyes. I am the author of The Zen of Learning to Ride a Motorcycle, which is available online pretty much anywhere books are sold. It is on Kindle, it's on audiobook at Audible, and in paperback. So I hope that you will tune in with me on the first Monday of the month for Mental Health Monday. And next episode, we are going to be talking about Zen Motorcycle Habit number six, which is, if you fall down, get back up. And I'll just give you a little preview. Mary Pickford said, If you've made mistakes, there's always another chance for you. You can start over any moment you choose. It's not the falling down that counts. It's the getting up. So we will be talking about that the first Monday in July, and I hope you will join me then. Again, my name is Leslie Reyes, and remember to keep on facing your fears, shifting gears, and looking in the direction that you want to go. Thank you.